come this morning, God, and we're just overwhelmed by your love, overwhelmed by the gift that you gave, your son, for us, for every person here, for every person who would call on your name, for every person, they don't even know it yet, God, your grace overwhelms, it's a, a river that keeps flowing, a waterfall that can't be stopped, so today we thank you, today we as every day we say thank you for your love, thank you for your grace, thank you for the greatest gift that was ever given in your son Jesus. We worship you, we choose to say that you are the highest and you are the greatest. And you are no longer a baby in a manger, you are a king, seated on a throne. And you will return for your bride. We thank you Jesus, we worship you, thank you Father that you gave, thank you Son that you came, and thank you Holy Spirit that you're with us, revealing Father and the Son today, we worship you. Amen. Amen. It is really wonderful to be together. My name is Mark. If you're a visitor with us this morning, and I have the incredible privilege of serving with this team and in this city and preaching the gospel today is just an overwhelming privilege. Every time is a privilege. But on Christmas Day, when, when people are coming to say thank you to the King of Kings, thank you to the Father, it's an amazing moment, an amazing day. Thank you for coming out. We worship today because... We take time out to celebrate the birth of our Christ Jesus, the day that heaven touched earth so that heaven can keep touching earth. It can keep touching your life, it can keep touching my life, and changing everything. And um, maybe this is the first time you're here, it really is wonderful to have you here. Maybe you were bribed. I'm okay with that. Maybe it was like you get lunch or you don't get lunch. It's determined if you get up at eight, jump in the shower, do your hair, well some of you, I can see not everyone, but... Um, and come to church on Christmas morning. Maybe that's you. I'm okay with that. Maybe, um, I, I don't know, maybe it was, it's your one-year regular stop at church. You picked a good day. They're free mince pies. Free mince pies. You picked a good day. And there's a coffee waiting to, serve, to be served to you. And, and it really is wonderful to have you with us. I love Christmas for many, many reasons. I probably don't love it as much as Gabe. Although I did get stopped by one of the children this morning. True story and said, is Uncle Gabe one of Santa's helpers? <laughs> and I really didn't have a lot of time to answer the service was starting, so I just said, well, yes, and moved on. So if that's your child, I apologize. You've got some explaining to do, um, but uh, that's all part of it as well. Wonderful, Gabe. I mean, it's Boney M songs. Who doesn't love Boney M songs? They've even remixed the remixes of the Boney M song. Judas in the car, he's bopping. I said, I like the song, Dad. I was like, you should have heard the original. All wearing white, white Christmas. It is, uh, it's good movie. Star Wars is out. I see some guys have given their sons dolls for Christmas. That's also, just say, I, I don't know. I don't know. And I really love food. And this is the time of food. Honestly, you can keep the presents. Just give me food. And Christmas becomes real. It becomes better. And people are just somehow happier. I don't know if you've noticed. I, I've heard less hooting on the roads. I was driving in West Beach the other day, I saw a car literally just cut off another car, and the guy stopped and waved him through, and then he stopped, and he tried to wave him through, and it was this moment of bliss in a city where normally there would be all sorts of, bless you. Uh, I mean, I could hear wet, the, the Love Actually song, love, 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 no, you go, no, you go. It is just that time of the year. But most of all, it's Jesus, the brightest star, and the loving Savior came. And, and, and you know what? I've got to make a confession. If you're visiting church and you're not normally 
go to church or I'm part of church um, and you've been dragged here, you're one of those, I've got a confession. We do this every day. We just go a little bit bigger because we know you're here today. And um, we worship the fact that Jesus came and that he is our king and savior every day of the year and every time we gather. And today is about an extraordinary generosity, a generosity that this world can never match, will ever match. It's about the love of a father who gave his son to be broken, to be beaten, to be bruised, sent him into the womb of a woman that the king of kings would come into the smallest, most narrowest of spaces, go through the process that we as humans go through so that we could receive this love, so that faultless I stand before his throne because of Jesus. And we sat down and we said, what do we want to speak about this Christmas? And we wanted to speak about there's always room. There's always room. We start with a story, and Fiona read the story, so I'm not going to read the scriptures from the start, but it starts with a birth out of wedlock, a pregnancy out of wedlock, which in the times of, of Jesus' birth and those times 2,000 years ago, it's something like the bold and the beautiful and the scandal that erupts being played out. And you've got Mary, this young teenage girl. I think we think of her a little bit more sophisticated than she really was. She was 13 to 15, 16 years old. Very young, very naive, very unaware, but very aware people would be watching a pregnancy out of marriage that was shunned upon, that was shameful in her time. As Gabe said last night, she probably would have been on Facebook going, oh my gosh, just saw an angel (laughs) follow on Facebook. Something like that, I gave something like that. I tried my little 16-year-old girl voice. It didn't work. But uh, (laughs) that was it, I know. I'll practice, I've only got boys, we could only make boys, so we've got no girls in the home, but I'll keep practicing for next year. But actually for Mary, it would have been incredibly costly, because no one would have believed her. I promise, I'm a virgin. Ah, we've seen that one. (laughs) No, I promise, immaculate conception. Have you not heard of it? Oh, that is a new one. We like that one. We're going to use that one next time. All the shame and everyone watching. Then you've got Joseph. This young guy who takes on a whole story. It's like he got shunned into a whole story. A little bit like Dave Van Ruyen. You know David Van Ruyen? It's like your minister of finance, not your wife, and then you're out. Same sort of thing. It's, um, he's had a rough December, along with Miss Columbia. And um, all these things. But God had plans through all of this. Through Mary and insecurities and naivety. Through Joseph and him not knowing, going, but having a dream and saying, well, I've got to respond to the something of God that I feel in this situation. And they go on a story and they go on a journey to Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is 80 miles away. There were no station wagons in that time. And actually, we don't even get told there was a donkey. We love to see Mary side saddle on a donkey. This is pleasant. Big tummy. This is amazing on a donkey. But they don't even say there was a donkey. She's very pregnant. She goes on an 80-mile journey. Why? Because Joseph is from Bethlehem, and there's a census, the Bible tells us. And he would have had to go with his people to register at the census. And if she stayed at home and she wasn't part of that story, everyone would have been watching. Look, it's not really happening. Look, they're not really getting married. So she goes, and in the journey, she takes this unbelievably hard journey, fully pregnant, Don't know when last you saw a fully pregnant woman on a donkey. It's not something we see all the time. But fully pregnant goes on this journey. Why? Because of shame and guilt. 
Because people are watching, not guilt. People are watching. They're putting things on. She knows they're speaking. What journey are you on? Because of shame. What journey are you on? Because people are watching. What journey and decisions are you making? At this time, I ask you, not for my sake, but for yours. What 80-mile journey, heavily pregnant, with promise abounding, are you on at this time of Christmas? And they arrive at the city where they're going, and because of a census, because it's crazy times, it's like Camps Bay in December. You just don't arrive. There's no space on the beach. Can I share that towel with you, ma'am? No. There's no space. It's all full up. And, and it would have been a tragedy. The son of the city of David and someone in the line of David could not find space. There's no room. And maybe you feel like that this morning. That bad, eh, Camps? I'll try harder, I promise. <laughs> but maybe you feel like there's no space for you. Maybe no space at the family table at lunch because maybe you've done something. Maybe you said something. Maybe you're disappointed. Maybe you don't feel like there's space in the church, in Jesus' kingdom as a son of daughter. Maybe there's just no space for you because of what you've done or where you've been. You feel like the doors are closed. I want to tell you that a motto, and we believe it as we look at the gospel, that a church without broken people is a broken church. A church is full of broken people. And people are constantly saying, I'm not going to church because of all the broken people going. It's like saying, I don't go to gym because of all the fat people there. How could it work? Maybe you feel like Mary, a little bit like everyone's watching. They all got an idea about your story. They've all got a judgment. Maybe Joseph. It's like you're, you got cornered in the situation. You didn't do this. Why should this be my story? Why can't I go live that young man's free, wild life? But God, maybe you feel like the innkeeper, a little bit overwhelmed, a little bit busy. There's no space in your world, no space in your life, no space in your success for Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Maybe a little bit like Mary, I got this promise, the king of kings is in my womb and somehow I got chosen, but I'm having a birth in a lowly manger with cows and all that. I mean, we think of it as a little bit like the Formula One of our time. We like to glamorize the birth of Jesus. They're like, it's a B&B, it can't be that bad. There must have been a microwave, there must have been snacks, there must have been room service. Now, when we look at the, the word, the manger, it's actually, it could be, and then it also could be the most common form of a, of a room, a spare room in a house, which was under the house, more like a cave under the house where the animals would dwell, where, where, where the, the stocks were kept. It's where you put your cow to keep them warm. It's a bit of a smell. It's a bit of a stench. That's where the king of kings got stashed. And Mary's sitting there, she's going like, what is this? Surely I, got, I would get the fanfare of a royal birth. Prince William's son arrives and the whole world stops and every news agency focuses, focuses on them and they get the best doctors and they get everything. The king of kings comes and we get, not Bloberg, Netke, too good, just a manger. But I think the birth of Jesus says so much, it's in the details. There were no mistakes. It's the fact that God breaks into the mundaneness of our lives. And the significance of everyday life that we just live, we're just walking, it's just a manger. And it's a promise that you are loved. 
I don't know how you came here this morning and maybe you're feeling a little claustrophobic. I want to tell you one thing. If you remember one thing, you were loved by the Savior. That he came and he worked for 20 years as a carpenter. Why? Because what we do in the day-to-day matters because we're loved. He came and he built relationships and friendships because what we do in the day-to-day, maybe you think, my life doesn't count. I promise you, what you do in the day-to-day is what the King of Kings did in the day-to-day. Built relationships, built life, built family. You mean something. You matter. You are loved. But I get stumped in this part of the story. There was no room. I can't fathom it. I'm kind of like, why? Why the manger story? Why was there no room? This is the king of kings. And so we've got to ask the question, well, why was Jesus born in a stable? You ever ask that question? Just we, we see the story, see it outplayed. Maybe it's because there was some old prophecy in the Old Testament that had to be fulfilled in the manger. There was no old prophecy in the Old Testament. Nothing. Maybe it's because Jesus was the good shepherd and shepherds slept in mangers. Well, historians would tell us that's not the case. The shepherds would be out in, with their sheep. They'd be out in the fields. They wouldn't be stuck away in a manger. Maybe, maybe it's because the king of kings had a plan. And he wanted us to look to a story with details in it where we would see him, see who he is, see his character. See, what historians would tell us about a manger in that time is they were three things. They were dark, they were cold, and they were dirty. And we like to play it out and romanticize it, but that's not the story. They were dark. They were pretty much under the house. No light. Whether the sun was shining outside or not, they were dark. I don't know about you, but not my favorite place to be in a dark place. And they were cold. They were under the house. All the warmth and everything, the fire was inside. This is under the house. It's where it would have been a bit damp, a bit smelly, all the animals everywhere. And it was dirty. I have confessed to the church before, I am a little bit of a dirtophobe. I go home sometimes and wash my hands more than once. Changing nappies was a big adaption for me when we started having kids. But at Christmas, we've got to stop romanticizing the manger and understand that Jesus came from the glory of heaven through the womb of a woman into a place that was dark, cold, and dirty. And I want to tell you that Jesus is always born in a manger, always coming to a place that is dark, cold, and dirty. And Jesus keeps being born in the hearts and minds, hearts of men and women every day that are just mangers. You know what this thing is? Outside of Jesus coming, just like a manger. It's dark, and it's cold, and it's dirty, and it's empty, and there's no life there, and there's no light there. And he knew that. And he knew that he would get one chance to do this, and he wanted to come, and every detail mattered. And so Jesus, the King of Kings, comes into the human heart, which is cold, because in truth, without Christ, we don't truly know love. We don't truly know the giver of love. The human heart is dark because we don't have the light of Christ and salvation that pours in. The human heart is dirty because we're all sinners, we're all broken looking to a savior. But the miracle of Christmas, the real miracle, is that Jesus was willing and is willing to be born in hearts like that so that we could be reborn into light. We could be reborn clean, faultless to stand. We could be reborn, washed, 
by his love and his grace. Jesus meets us in our greatest sorrow and depths. He's there. Jesus meets us in the blackness of our despair, as dirty as we could think. Maybe you hear today and think, well, it couldn't get more dirty. You don't know my story, Mark. I've heard story after story, even this year. And I promise you this, Jesus came once into a manger so he can keep coming into your dirty, dark, cold heart. If you would just open the door. He keeps meeting us in those places. You see, the story of Christmas is there is always room. Jesus gets born so that we can experience something called salvation. And maybe salvation is just an old Christmas Christian word to you. But salvation to me comes from a word called yaset. It means spaciousness. It means I can see the boundaries are far. far and the, on that moment on the cross, he picked up the boundary stones of my life and he threw them beyond the narrowness of my circumstances and my situations. In the third row today stands a man who two weeks ago died on a hospital bed. Brought back to life and worshipped through everything his wife held on to them. And Jesus breathed his life on and they worship the King of Kings. And I turn around and I see people worshiping who two weeks ago were on their deathbed who have a cut from here to here because the King of Kings is alive and it doesn't matter what happens to this body. It matters what happens inside. It doesn't matter what's in the box. It matters, it does matter what's in the box. It doesn't matter what's on the outside of the box. I get excited. But I wanna tell you that Mary's sitting there, imagine her. She's sitting there processing, I've been called to this task, it's hard. My friends don't understand, where's my family? At the time, you would have had family, you would have had midwives, you would have all these people supporting, and the Bible just says, alone in a manger. And she would have started doubting, God, you, you, you called me to this big task. I'm alone with Joseph, who feels cornered into this. And along come some shepherds, just common shepherds common men out in a field, and we think the sign, and because it says, and this is the sign, I can't do this on my own, it says, it says, he gives a sign to the shepherds, and this will be the sign, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. I don't think that sign was for the shepherds. I think that sign was for a young girl who had full of fear, knew her brokenness, felt unqualified for an amazing task, and up arrives shepherds who say, this is the one. And in that moment, amidst the cold, amidst the dirt, amidst the brokenness, the King of Kings reveals himself and speaks into one heart. I want to tell you the story of Mary is that she hadn't escaped God's notice. I think somehow through our brokenness and our processes, we think we can escape God's gaze. Adam and Eve in the, in the garden, they're hiding and, and they say, God says, Graciously, where are you? This is God. He created the garden. He knew where they were, but they're hiding. Maybe you're hiding today. I want to tell you that the manger scene, the dark, cold, and dirty manger scene, means that God sees, God knows, God cares. And amidst the mess and the brokenness of your story, He keeps doing miracles. C.S. Lewis said, The Son of God became a Son of Man so that sons of men can become the Son of God. That we can keep the glorious transaction keeps taking place that happened because of a scene that played itself out in a manger. So the question is, how do you do this? Maybe you did get dragged here today. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Maybe you just felt like you had to go to church. 
It's wonderful to have you. How do you do this? I've got a, a boy who's just turned seven. He was six, and we went on holiday recently. And I love my boys. And we were, he was paddling my stand-up paddleboard, but the wind began to blow, and I could see him getting further and further away. Cairns wasn't there. I had the other two little kids on their own. The one is two, the one is five, and he's just turned seven. And he was paddling, but I could see the wind was getting stronger and stronger. And he was getting further and further away, and he was getting close to the corner. We were at the Ornrus Lagoon. He's getting close to the corner where he would no longer see me. And I had my running glasses on so no one could see my eyes. I was watching him. And you know you get that look from the mothers. Look at this father. Just letting his boy go off. And you feel the judgment. <laughs> but I was waiting for something. And he was paddling, and he started taking shorter strokes. But he, but he was calm. He was paddling. I could see he was okay. And I was waiting for something. And then I just saw this little hand. And I knew. And I sat the other two boys down. I said they've got to stay there. And I jumped in the water, and I swam about 150 meters, 100 meters to go to him. And he's standing on the board, and he's fine. And I started to pedal him back into the wind that he couldn't get against because the wind's come. And I said, boy, why didn't you freak out? Why didn't you start crying? Why didn't you get nervous? He said, no, Dad. I knew you were watching, and I knew you would come. And I don't know how you came here today. Maybe you're just on that paddleboard, and you're paddling your heart out. And the wind's just too strong. The, the accusations, maybe they're true. Maybe you are a bad father. Maybe you are a bad employee. Maybe you are a fraudster. Maybe you are a whole bunch of things. Faultless I stand before his throne because of one, Jesus. Not my actions, not my righteousness, not anything I can do, but because of Jesus. And he's always watching. And you're on the board of life. And the winds are blowing and the storms are coming. I want to tell you, there is a father always watching. Like he was watching Mary, like he was watching Moses, um, Joseph. He's watching you. And he's looking for one thing. I'm here. And you stop trying so hard. And you just surrender. You know what the gospel is about? It's just about the moment we stop trying hard and we surrender. Because the Son of God became Son of Man so that the sons of men could be sons of God. There's always room. Jesus said, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. And the highest status we can ever have is the Son of God or daughter of the living God. Can I invite the band up one more time, please? I have that image of my boy fixed in my head. He was trying really hard. He hadn't given up. But the corner was coming. The corner was coming and it was close. And I could see the strokes getting frantic. You know what happens at Christmas? The strokes start getting a little frantic because we've got to have lunch with our family who we haven't phoned all year and we don't really like. <laughs> because we've got to face up to people we love that we've disappointed and they know our failures. So we start trying harder and we buy bigger presents. I want to tell you the only response that Christmas demands of us 
is not trying harder. Just turning and saying, I'm here, Dad. I'm here, Father. Can we close our eyes for a second, please? And maybe you think, yo, that went from the joys of carols to the depths of death's very deep, Mark. We passionately love this Jesus. We passionately love Jesus. We believe that Jesus came and was born through the womb of a woman and he died on the cross so that we could be saved. I believe that with everything inside of me. And maybe you're here and you are that kid struggling and the wind is blowing and you don't know what to do. I want to give you an opportunity to just call for help. And here's the thing, I can't help you. No one here can help you. But Jesus, who came and lived the narrowness of the womb of a woman for nine months, left the perfection of heaven, lived the perfect life that we could never live, and died the most gruesome death, that we don't have to die, so that we can do one thing, just raise our hand to the Father and say, here I am, Dad. Do you see me? I want to take a moment just because we love and we give opportunity as much as we can. If you don't know Jesus and you haven't received this love, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we'll be finished in two minutes. Can I ask you to just give me a wave and allow the King of Kings to ride in? I'm not your savior, he is. The church can't do it, he is. The overwhelming anxieties of life will keep coming unless you surrender to the King of Kings. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? Awesome. Awesome. It's amazing. If you put your hand up, will you pray with me now? Jesus, I, I stopped trying so hard. I put aside my effort and I say, come. Will you be my savior today? Will you be the one who makes me faultless today? Never to stand ashamed. Never to stand guilty again. Today I'm in your son, your daughter, father.